Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Welcome in to Windy City Podcast. We're talking episode seven and eight. And I got to tell you, those were the two best episodes so far. And that's saying something because one and two are phenomenal. I think I would say five and six over three and four, maybe three, actually three and four and then five and six. But seven and eight was absolutely spectacular. And the highlight moment for me, when they asked Michael the question, do you, I forget exactly how it was put, but along the lines of, do you think that your teammates consider you a good guy? And he's reflecting back about, hey, look, you know, I pushed guys. And I did it in the name of winning. I wanted them to win. And he eventually gets to the moment where he, the emotions well up and he's got to stop and he takes a break. I've been waiting for a real moment like that, basically the whole, the entire doc. Like I thought he lacked reflection at different points. And I was just waiting for something in the moment where he would be catching up with himself and and his thoughts and he would get overwhelmed. And there it was. It's because it, it just meant so much to him, right? The dude loves basketball more than anyone loves basketball. And equally to that, He loves winning and being the best and putting in all the effort and coming out on top. Now, if he doesn't come up out on top, then he'll say that it was a teaching moment and he'll use his dad's lessons of, you know, you got to turn a negative into a positive. I thought the James Jordan stuff was phenomenal. I would have loved to have known James Jordan. I would have loved to have been covering the team at that point to get to know his dad. And when Michael was gambling in Atlantic City and there was all that noise around him, the fact that James wanted to stand up and talk to the media and protect his son, love you, Dad. That's freaking awesome, Dad. 
it felt weird that Michael would say, you know, my dad passed away, but you got to turn a negative into a positive. It's like, well, where's the emotions around that, right? Your dad got murdered. There's got to be a ton of pain, right? It has to be. And two things stood out from the episode. Number one, Ahmad Rashad saying that Jordan could not tie his tie. It's the day of his dad's funeral, and Ahmad's got to tie Michael's tie. Wow. Right? Hands are trembling. He's trying to hold things together, but he can't tie his tie. That was a window into what was really going on. And then the crying after they beat Seattle in game six, and he's on the ground, and you can audibly hear him sobbing. And we're going to talk about this uh, with, with the animal coming up here, but just super, super powerful. That was deep, deep guttural pain. It had to come out, or it didn't have to, but it did come out right there. You know, his dad was his best friend. His dad's there all throughout his career. Being Michael Jordan, right? The walls are pretty damn tight. You got to have somebody in your inner circle that you can trust. Well, you know, his dad was always there for him. I thought it was interesting, too. You know, they're underlining that Gary Payton played great D in game four and game five, and Jordan's watching the video of Payton talking about it, and he's just laughing. I had other things on my mind. So he's one game away from winning, and he's thinking about his dad again and how he's going to win, and his dad's not going to be there. Pretty amazing. The baseball stuff, I've always defended his baseball career. I didn't know the part about they put him at double A because that was the only place that could handle the media. Any lower than that, they couldn't have handled it. Maybe they did him actually a disservice. He probably should have started at A ball. But regardless, 50 RBIs, 30 steals, not bad, man. Not bad. Thank God there was a baseball strike, by the way. And to hear him say when he came back that he was nervous because he knew he wasn't back to where he could be. He knew he wasn't in basketball shape. He knew his skills weren't as sharp. And, yeah, he's hitting game winners against Atlanta. And, yeah, he's doing the double nickel against New York. But he was not built to last at that point. I've never heard Michael admit that he was nervous, but he was he knew he was nervous against the Orlando Magic and of course the Bulls ended up losing the series. Mark Vansell. Does anybody even know who Mark Vansell is? And yet Jordan told him a year before that he was going to retire and go play baseball. And Vansell's written a book on Michael, I forget the name of it, but you know, there's a lot of people covering that team. Sam and Lacey J different beat writers through the years, Bob Sakamoto, Mark Vansell got the scoop that he was going to go play baseball. I thought that was pretty interesting. So let's go back. Also, let me just tell the story on when he retires for the first time. I'm a sophomore in college at the University of Iowa. I was worried that he was going to retire with all the gambling and Magic Johnson saying that you're going to force Jordan out of the game and Michael saying stuff himself. And then his dad passing away. I was nervous about it. But then he's at the Sox game. They're playing the Blue Jays. He's throwing out the first pitch. And I'm actually starting to think, oh, this is getting back to normal. He's throwing out the first pitch. He's moving forward in his life. And then all of a sudden, you start hearing that Jordan's going to retire. And back then, you know, there's no Twitter. I didn't have a cell phone. We had cable. And there were newspapers. 
So I'm nonstop watching ESPN, and I'm buying eight Tribunes and just trying to collect as much Jordan stuff as possible because I thought it was over. And I didn't go to school for like four days. And I remember my dad calling me up, and and I'm like weeping into the phone. And he's like, what's going on? I'm like, well, Jordan retired. He's like, oh, well, call me tomorrow. Like my father, who we, we had season tickets, and but just he just didn't get it. Hey there, weird son. You're crying over Jordan. Yes, Dad, I'm crying over Jordan, and I'm not going to school for a long time here. I thought he was never going to come back. But then when he said it, in retirement, you if you you can choose to come back. I'm like, oh, it was like a it was a it was a relief. Oh yeah, he could come back someday. I didn't necessarily think he would, but. It was on the table. So that was kind of like a relief. And I think he needed the that window there too, right? If I want to come back someday, I will. But right now, ain't happening. I'm burnt. I'm going to go play baseball. I need to be active. And that's the other thing too. Baseball ends. There's a strike. He doesn't want to cross the picket line. He ain't interested in going back home, doing nothing. He went right back to where he belongs and where he loved where he loved to be. That didn't take too long uh, at all. So it was just kind of fun to think think back about the first retirement. And I, I literally thought the world was ending. And seeing people in Chicago, like outside WGN radio, watching the TV screen when it's being announced, it literally stopped the city. Stopped the world. Tom Brokaw's in attendance, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a big, big deal. All right, I watched a zillion basketball games with this gentleman, one of the great NBA fans, knowledgeable hoop gentleman, Simon Piaseni, the animal, joins me to recap episodes seven and eight right now. Let me bring in my guy, Simon Piacente, who will dub, uh, what do you want your nickname to be on the podcast or your first time on to Windy City? The Animal. Uh, well, of course. <laughs> Let's bring back The Animal, Naked Truth About Sports, 1998, This is, which was my first year covering the team. And when I say covering the team, I don't want to overstate it, but we had a radio show, and so I went to... 95% of the home games that year and went to all the playoff games until the NBA did not credential me for the finals, Brian McIntyre. But that's okay. Not holding any grudges. As if I didn't belong there. No problem. So I, I was just saying that I thought episode seven and eight were the, were the two best, hands down. I loved it. Where, where are you at? Well, yeah, you know, I was saying to someone, I was, you know, I was, Marco, I'm going to give you a little movie knowledge right here. I was watching the slow burn horror movie, Rosemary's Baby, last night, of which had a good payoff at the end. And I said that, I told my brother, I said, we were watching together, red wine, looking over the Chicago skyline, Mark, and, and uh, well, still social distancing. And, and, and I was like, this is like a slow burn movie. Like, it started off real somber, like, you know, with the dad and the retirement and, and all of it. And then you were sort of like, wow, this is kind of real somber. We turned to that actually one first break where I was real somber. 
and then it just kept picking up steam. And then when they went to the Jordan competitive thing right out of that, you know, where the players are talking about how difficult he was, it just and all of a sudden it just built momentum until the end. And it just they, they do such a great job of pacing on this documentary all the way through. But I, I agree, like from on an emotional standpoint of momentum of end episodes, like. Seven and eight was to me the best one for sure so far, for sure. And so me and you, we've always loved James Jordan and the relationship yeah. with, and I was wondering how much are they going to go into the murder and how much are they going to go into the relationship? And they went a lot deeper in the relationship, but we've seen Jordan cry after game six against the Sonics fourth title a zillion times, but yeah. I've never seen the Never. audible crying that they had. And for a guy who's like so bottled up, right, and you, you can't get at him and he's so protected, there is so much underneath all of it. And that was a that was a window into like the just everything that's flowing inside that dude's body, right? I mean it was that was that was intense. I mean the audible cry was like that was to me in the best moment of the thing actually at first for me. I don't know, it was just because it was like the most vulnerable you've ever seen him. But at the same time, it was interesting how even though he was his most vulnerable, how he went into the locker room and was still face down so no one could like see him and like behind a bench kind of. So even though like the guards and the cameras came in after him, it's like it was still kind of isolated and alone. So even he still had that awareness and wall built up to where he didn't like let anyone see him still. But I mean the the, the, the grunts from the audible cry I mean, that was like primitive. <laughs> it, it, it was. That was like feeling of life from inside the inner core of his body. It was incredible. I mean, that like deep, deep pain that from, I think, deep pain from his dad's death that he probably had never expressed. And like him looking down yeah. too, because if he, if he had ever, you know, if he had made eye contact with Joe Lee, who was trying to pat him there, who had been with the Bulls forever or any of the security people, he would he, he wouldn't have been able to stay with it. So he, ha- he had to be in his little cocoon there of, you know, per, you know, just to be with himself. That was, that was really. Sure. And it was good because then we didn't have to see any more of those security guards who had way too much airtime to hold <laughs> documentary. <laughs> Speaking of slightly too much airtime, I don't want to go at my guy, but I'm going to go at my guy. Yeah, I, I was, sure. look, I was there the night that B.J. Armstrong beat the Bulls in game two, and I was thrilled for B.J. Armstrong. Like, I, I, I was a huge B.J. fan, and here he came back. I thought it was too bad that he got booted out of there, when, and it made sense, of course, because Harper was a better fit at that time, a bigger guard playing alongside Scotty and Michael. They weren't wrong to get rid of B.J., but I thought B.J. kind of got ripped off because he had been a backup on the first two championship teams. He finally got to start in 93. Now Jordan's back. They're great friends, and he's off to Charlotte and then Golden State and wherever else. But a lot of B.J. Armstrong time. Good God. Like, no one's ever, talked, no one's ever talked about Game 2 Charlotte since, since that game. <laughs> and, for like, and for you to say that, if you to give Mark your audience around the world, to give them – uh, you of your B.J. Armstrong love, I mean, just think you were at the multiplex in Deerfield playing ball against him in the, in the early 90s, even pre-championship, stripped him a few times, Mark. I think he had a couple jumpers over him. I mean, you're holding your own against B.J. <laughs> I saw those games from the sideline, watching the ocean go at him. 
And then you went when you went to Iowa afterwards, just following in his footsteps. I feel like there's some vicarious living there, certainly some issues, but <laughs> but there was something going on. But for you to say that, and I was funny, I was thinking that when I was like, does Mark think right now that it's too much BJ? I'm like, I still feel like he's erring on the side of not enough BJ, but I was surprised. <laughs> but I was like, what is this, a BJ doc, or is this the last dance? Well, well this this podcast just became a BJ doc because you just made me, th- now i got to tell two stories. Number one, <laughs> I, I once had a dream that, the Bulls won the championship. I was on the court, was the point guard, and I was jumping up and down on the court. And if you go back and look at the 1993 championship video, I was jumping up and down exactly in my dream the way BJ's jumping up and down. <laughs> and it's, it, it, it haunts me. Like, I don't, I don't know how that happened, but I'm telling you, the look on my face is the same exact look that he has on his face. And in the dream, I run down into the locker room, and I'm so excited in the dream that I'm going to get to party with Jordan and the Bulls, right? We've just won the title. And I get down there, and they've all left. And, and I, like, and I, uh, they've all left. And I've got, they're at, like. You're lady high school. You got cut. I, I got cut from the from the party. They were at like the some dream. in the dream, and they they were at they were at some restaurant, and I like tried to find the restaurant, but I didn't get to the restaurant in time. And then I woke you got up cut in your own dream. <laughs> this was some painful shit, man. I was it was great, and then they left me. I felt like I was at uh, you know I, I don't know social dance or something, and I. I <laughs> And then the, the other, the, yeah. the, 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 the other BJ highlight story that you're you're naming. He would play; yeah. those guys would play pickup hoop at Multiplex, which has been in the documentary a ton. And by the way, Jason Hare, nobody cares about this other than me, but you have clipped <laughs> practice cuts from the Multiplex when I know they're practicing at the Birdo Center. He's done a lot of creative stuff here. He also did with Kobe. He made it out like Michael and Kobe were having this conversation at Madison Square Garden in the All-Star game. And uh-huh. do you think that, that Bulls fans don't know that that's the United Center where they're having that conversation, that you just tried to creatively put like that was going on in the game because it yeah, fit the yeah, narrative? Yeah, like, so dude, I, come on, man. You, do you know who you're dealing with here? We got some lunatics watching this thing. <laughs> but but any yeah. rate... He, I mean, your point zero zero one percent, but going about BJ. That right. So anyway, so he would play at multiplex. So I'm running on his team one day, and this is like prime, which you've given me this compliment many times. But when I sure. when I was when I was playing at Iowa, like all the time, my game was at like oh, yeah. the like the best That's it had ever been. So I'm hitting like fadeaway shots. I mean, I'm I'm playing out of my skull. <laughs> Carmen, 92 or 93, <laughs> Iowa, was like 88 Jordan. I, I was defensive player of the year. I mean, all-star at, game MVP. And on the multiplex court, four on four, like that was home base. And so yeah. he, he, he's, he's, he's coming down and he kicks it to me on the wing and I rise up and shoot the jump shot. And as it's on the way, he's like eight, four. The dude, he counted my hoop before it went in. I'm like, do you understand that no one in my life has ever thought that I would ever make a jump shot? <laughs> like, well, I feel like BJ had, like, I feel like there was, I mean, since we talked about the BJ documentary continued, 
but I feel like BJ, um, like I feel like you sort of had some weird vicarious thing. Also, just the fact that he was like the not the biggest guard, like wasn't drafted that high, had to prove himself, like you know what I mean. And it was like I feel like you had a bit of BJ in your game as far as like that that guard who was just trying to prove himself. It was it was definitely something that I tried to align to. John Paxson's keeping him down. He's the little guy. And all, 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 all that stuff. All right, let, let's let's get off BJ and just get a couple more things in here. <laughs> so, so I want to move to LeBrad. I want to move to LeBradford Smith. Oh, great! Oh, yeah, I would love to talk about that actually because I got something interesting about that. But go ahead. So he. I just thought it was incredible that he made up the story that LeBradford Smith walked off the court and said, nice game, Mike. And then he started telling people that they that he said, nice game, Mike, and he never said it. <laughs> and that, and he used that as something like he actually said, like a, like the dream that I just had or something. He used his lie. <laughs> he he made up that LeBradford Smith taunted him. That's so incredibly bizarre, and it, and it worked for him. Do you think that he made up? Do you think that he? You know, you sometimes sort of begin to believe your lies if you tell them enough. Do you feel that like he like sort of in his own head that was like yeah, he did say that? Maybe he did. You know, like, like I feel like he sort of like like. He he like pro- made of his own reality. He prop like if 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 we're looking for the truth here, LeBradford Smith probably mumbled something really timidly, walking off, and Jordan somehow turned that into that's what he said. I don't know. He didn't know exactly what he said, but he turned it into that. And then I think you're right. Like he made it a real thing. And, but and furthermore, though, I mean, let's, keeping it real in another way, if LeBradford Smith comes in and is 37 and beats you on your home floor. It's like you don't even need any motivation. He doesn't. I'm saying like he was probably from the word go every three in, in a loss. You know what I mean? And you're playing it, a back to back. I mean, you can't. I can't see him doing anything different. Yeah. F- fact check. Bulls did win the game, the the first one, but uh, LeBron. Oh, they, they, they did win that game. They, okay. Yeah, they they won, they won the game, but uh, just the whole way he. I mean, and that story has been told a million times, but to like back to the BJ thing, just to see him sitting there smoking a cigar, swinging a baseball bat. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right. Just. Well, and this is I'm going to take an angle real quick on this, if you don't mind, as far as like I found this to be an interesting angle. And, you know, I love Kobe Bryant and I've said too many times, you know, I mean, in my book, you can put Kobe Bryant anywhere from two to 11 as far as the greatest players ever. Like, because I have no problem somebody put him at two. I have no problem somebody put him at 11 as far as winning basketball games. Like, I put him personally about, I think I had him like six or seven in my own book. But regardless of that, is because, think about this, like Jordan coming back and saying, I'm going to score just as many in one half, right? The fact that he can at will just score like 36 and a half if he chooses to. You know, like David Robinson wanted to win a scoring title towards 71 and choose to. I just, I'm just saying, like, it takes a little bit of shine off Kobe's 81. Um, and it's neither here nor there, but I just feel like that's – it's like Mike, if he had been that guy, could have scored a lot more whenever he wanted to in a lot of ways, I think. I love that you just went at the 81 out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a total out of nowhere, but it was totally what I was thinking as far as, like, 
And again, I say this, you know, who are you, who are you going to talk to on this broadcast who says Kobe is viable at number two ever? I mean, very few. So I love Kobe Bryant, and, and he's one of the few players I've ever feared on the basketball court. I can think of, like, two, him and Magic. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, that's a Bird and Jordan fan. But so it's like, so, I mean, I'm ultimate reverence to Kobe Bryant, but I just feel like he's kind of – now that said, and I know we're going off on a tangent here, but just stick with me for a second. In defense of Kobe, he did have 55 in the second half of that game, I think. I mean, that is – no one's ever been that hot, ever, in anything. 55, I think, I, in the second I, half. I, I got a fact check. I, I, I'm not sure if you're right or not, but I, I, I'm going to take your word for it. I think you, I, I, yeah. would bet, I would bet a lot of money that you are. I think it is. And, it was 26 and 55, I think. It was just crazy. Well, and – Kobe's moment in the documentary where he's just talking about feeling Michael and the quickness and the strength and they're asking about playing yeah. one-on-one and he's saying that I would not sure. be, be there with the five without Jordan. And I'm sitting there like, you know, that is great respect to Michael, but I don't really believe you. Like, Kobe Bryant, you are going to figure it out with Michael's help or without. I that dude was not going to be denied to, to your point of being 2 to 11 because I have no problem with him being 2 either. Uh right. The, the guy was the guy the guy was just so incredible and I and I and Kobe uh I miss him man, right? You you got for sure. It's just For sure. And I to that point though, I think on this whole last dance documentary, one thing that stuck out to me the most Really, and uh, just what Kobe said and why Kobe, to me, you know, you can't compare with Mike, is just how strong Jordan is. And especially, you know, you and I always talk about how, to us, peak Jordan is pre-91, like in those couple years before then. But just how strong that dude was. I mean, if especially post-91, if he started working out, I mean, he would just go down the lane and just, like, fly. And he was like, people were like, flies going off him. I mean, he was just. So strong, man. Just and that's just something that like is underrated and how great he was. Yep. And, and when he would go up for that jumper and flick the wrist, it was the most solid entity in the air there, just like so straight up and just like it's just power. It was like so solid. Yeah, and along those lines, let's uh let's get out of here on what <laughs> well just what build him up to that. Like, you know, he as far as like when he cried at the end of episode seven and there was so much in him pushing people, which by the way, like there was so much buildup on Scott Burrell and his relentlessness on Burrell. It's like that that was the most overstated thing ever. He was, he was nice to Scott Burrell and, and Scott he wrote to everybody else. <laughs> I mean, him just the, 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 the looks and the sitting there, I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I was thinking it was going to be a whole lot worse than that. I thought he was going to say something like, look, motherfucker, if you don't come, you know, whatever. I, I was, I, it wasn't really any of that, you know? I thought it was, I think Scott Burrell is the funniest character to me on that team because he's almost like it's, it's, it's on a real metaphorical level because he's just like the anti-Jordan. I mean, he looks like almost exactly like him from a distance, same height, same like bald head, et cetera. But like, he's like, not like he's, he's the antithesis of the intensity and just the meanness and this and that. I just, he's, he's basically, he's like soft Jordan. It's a great call. Oh, it's soft Jordan. He, it's like if Dory, if you sapped all of Jordan's intensity out and turned him into like the nicest guy ever, he'd be Scott Burrell. 
Scott Burrell has come across beautifully. You're a really sweet man, Scott Burrell. <laughs> he is. Have you seen him on interviews? Like, just to, like not this documentary, but just like around ESPN, he's been doing a lot of stuff like that. He is truly one of the nicest human beings. Like, he's the kind of guy who's like, he'll leave a, a podcast. He was doing one with Will Perdue the other day, and like the interview ends. And he not only just says thank you to the interview, he goes, and thanks to you for seeing you, my friend. Like, like Twill, who's doing the podcast with him, who's just a guest. I'm like, Burrell, going the extra thank you to the other guests. I'm trying to get him on here, and I will oh, continue. You'd love him. I, I could t- I'll continue to try, but he, his email, I sent him an email through his, the university that he's working at in Connecticut, and I didn't know if it was going to get to him. And then I get this email back like, hey, Mark, it's Scott Burrell. Can you, you can contact me here. I'm like, oh, my God, what a nice email return from Scott Burrell, you know? <laughs> you're a nice wow, Scott. Wow, wow. You're a nice Scott Burrell. Uh, now he hasn't yeah. followed through. I've asked him 7 million times to do it. And he keeps on dodging me. Burrell, I'm going to keep hunting you down, Burrell. We're going to do Let this. A shout out to you, though, Marco. I mean, I must tell you, you've gotten some sick guests lately. I mean, your podcast. Is on fire between like you know like your Will Purdue and what's up with the Craig Hodges, and I mean just like down the line. And it was so funny. I was sitting with a gal pal man the other day. We were talking, and she, I was showing her that Arthur Stewart interview you did, <laughs> and she was just raving about how like engaging and how entertaining you were to watch. So uh-huh. shout out, like I mean really great stuff, man. I mean you should be it's great. You're getting some great guests. Thank right. you, Animal. I appreciate yeah. it. These guys want to talk. Yeah. You know who's come across great, right. by the way? Uh, I, I should make a double effort on this one because Tony Kukoc. He was great tonight. He was great. He Super likable well, and impressive, too. Super likable. Yeah. These guys, they don't even like, know. Not like in a software. Like he had like, he like was like seriously like a cool dude, I thought. Completely. And, yeah. And he had like three legs to stand on. These guys didn't even know me at all. <laughs> and, and you know what? And Reggie Miller made a, made a great point. I'm not saying tonight in the documentary, but Reggie Miller comes off as very self-serving Reggie Miller in the stock so far. But if you watch Reggie Miller in every other interview, like outside this doc, he is so like kissing Jordan's ass left and right. He's like Mr. Reverend to Jordan, calls him the goat. And like everywhere he goes, he's like Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. Because it raises him up too when he says it. But he all he made a great point there. And he's like, because people have to remember this is what he said is, and when they were playing us in 98, Rodden wasn't starting. Kukoc was starting that series. Yeah, Dennis was uh, on, yeah. The, on the very much way out. Um, Which is, you know, one of the greatest testaments to Jordan is, of all testaments, is, like, everybody was, like, dying at that point. And, like, Utah, like, dude, I mean, that dude in 98 was, like, literally carrying that squad on his shoulders. Yep. At, at, at his age. And it would, that's one of his greatest accomplishments. I mean, in his whole career, for sure. For sure. No question. It was really, he was only getting help from Tony, and, and it was him. Yeah. Scotty was, yeah, Scotty's back had given out. Dennis was barely there. And the rest of them, like, you watch those games right now, that and Luke Longley, Holy Mr. Turnover that I forgot about. The, it, the worst decisions ever. Like, would you get your shit together, Longley? <laughs> Bill Carr. It's amazing the people that they've chosen to talk and the people who they've not. Like, although I will say tonight was the first time you saw more of certain people like Kukoc, like Judd Boosler. Um, you just saw more people for the first time. You know, like, I mean, I think Wennington's been in a couple before that, but he was a feature more tonight. 
But it's amazing. How, I mean, as we talked about, Hodges wasn't shown. I was surprised we saw Cartwright out of nowhere tonight. Did you see that? Yeah, I I was wondering, like, are they going to get any Bill Cartwright in here? And it's the littlest amount of Cartwright ever, which I still it think. Was. It's so lame. Yeah, I mean, are you going to try to interview him? I should. I'll try to get Cartwright. Cartwright should should do it too. He's um, he's Bill Cartwright is a straight gentleman, man. I'm a, I'm a b- b- big fan of Big Billy. Back in the day, love him. Yeah, and yeah, I, I think we're gonna do another one with um, Purdue. What do you think about his comment about you know talking trash? That's 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 great when you're ahead or when you're even, but when you talk shit from behind. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I mean, well, take it from the king. I mean, the greatest trash talkers. I mean, in my, it's funny. When people say the greatest trash talkers, like people are like Bird, and I, I'm coming from one of the biggest Larry Bird fans in the world, me. But it's like I'm like, I don't. None of you ever heard it. Da da da. So you just are saying that because like it's like the narrative. But from what I know about NBA basketball, there's two guys who are on the Mount Rushmore trash talk to me, and it is MJ and GP. <laughs> like GP, I, so that's when I say, like, as far as it goes, like when Jordan says that, it's like he's like if anyone knows about like that type of shit, it's like the dude is like, and 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 but who really? Not me. Miller said he's like, did you ever talk crap to Michael? And he's like, I talked shit to Michael the first. It was a preseason, preseason game I yeah. ever played against. Him. You heard that story, yeah. and it's like, and then never again. I mean, do you think? I mean, I bet you. I mean, maybe, maybe Neek talked to him a little bit, or somebody like that, and you know, or it's like Xavier McDaniel or some psycho like Vernon Maxwell. How about when when Patrick Ewing shows up in the locker room after they're playing the Knicks in the playoffs? God, so good. <laughs> and then he's taunts him. Right, yeah, you had a great take on that. What was your take again about that? I mean, I mean, Patrick's coming in there just trying to be a nice guy. He's I like, know. you got to go back to 84 when I kicked your ass. Like, hey, just would you – and Ewing just sat there and looked up. was like, don't start that shit, please. <laughs> Unbelievable. Like, think about that. There's like, It's like all these students congratulating you. You've got to go first out of the gate to haze on him. Yeah, that, like nonstop. That's what you like that I just said he was – he doesn't know how to talk to anyone he other doesn't. than just taunt him. Like magic comes to say hello. He wants to scream at him. What kind of tie are you wearing? Like <laughs> – Don't you love that? Don't you love that with, with Matumbo too of where it's like when he's at the All-Star game, you've seen that clip of when he's sitting there and Dakota say, you've never, you've never, you've never blocked me. And, the, and Jordan's the guy's hand up to Kimbe, to Kimbe. He's like, it's like arguing his last breath about how he's blocked Matumbo. It's like, can you only communicate to people in like an antagonistic way? He, he probably wakes up, even now, starts like screaming at Yvette. When are you going to get up? <laughs> I guess I'll get my own orange juice. Great, it's a great take, though, Marco, because I got to tell you, like, is. I I wonder, like, to live with Jordan, like, that competitive mania thing, how, do you think, like, like in, like, a domestic relationship angle, like, is he, like, around, like, the house when he's around the house? And he's probably rarely. But, like, it's, like, do you think he's just, like, oh, yeah, thanks. So, like, sort of cordial? Or do you think he's kind of, like, gruff with her, too? It's an interesting one to speculate. Speculation. How- I mean, we, we don't know, but but it's interesting. It's an interesting take that I've never thought about. Can't believe we never thought about it. But my my jump to answer is like he's probably <laughs> on on on, and then when he falls asleep, it's like instant, and he's just like, I I feel like there's like there's no 
Like he's just going, 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 and then he's done, and then he's like, then he's like you. By the way, he wakes up two hours later and is ready to play again for twenty four hours. <laughs> so true. I mean, it's and Mike. I mean, in his tube socks with his cigar. And by the way, we've always seen him smoking cigars, but but that dude never didn't have a cigar in his mouth. Which I is mean, it could be. Before, yeah, unbelievable. Right, like, like world class athlete. <laughs> right, like, hold on a second. You're Michael Jordan. Are you telling me you're really smoking a cigar on the way to the game? I, well, that's the best story, and you know that story. And if you know it already, tell oh, me. Oh, with, so uh, with 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 Weber. Yeah, with C Weber. Pulled up to the bus. <laughs> he's smoking a cigar, and it's it's like, but like. Did you know like he's in there before the game, sitting in the locker with a cigar in his mouth? I didn't. I mean, like, it, I mean, it, it's unbelievable. So I, I feel like, you know, when when Secretariat died, they cut him open, and his heart was four times the size. I feel, uh, I feel that's a great comment. Yeah, for sure. For I feel sure. like there's just some things not there's there's some advantage that he's got going on in there to, that allows him to function at the competitive nonstop insane level that he does all the time although the the, the burnout stuff was is um it's, it's been underlined i think they've done a great job with that in 93 he was done and it's it just i don't know how they're going to wrap it up in nine and ten but it's it's clear that he was burnt so it's such a great angle too because i mean it just goes to show and I, again i don't want to like slight lebron either but it's like like when people are like LeBron's played so much better longevity than Michael Bubba, it's like the miles that Jordan had from college to like every day with Dean Smith to coming and doing everything, getting his ass beat in the '80s NBA, like that too. And the fact that he played both ends like a maniac, like the guy has just more miles per game and per moment than LeBron has like in his career. It's ridiculous. And one more thing, when they said talking about like when like Jordan got stripped when he's 45, et cetera, and like how you never saw that happen, you know, like. I watched a game, I think it was like last Christmas, where LeBron's playing. He had like six bad plays, like there were glaringly bad plays, like in a half. And I was like, you basically, that was more than Jordan had like in the 80s. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like when you saw Jordan make a mistake, it was rare. Like just like a mistake, you know? Yeah, yeah like and I, pass or... I like that he teed it up too, that he was nervous during that playoff run because he knew I he. believe he said that. Yeah, I was nervous because he knew he wasn't himself, which just speaks to a reminder to myself and and everybody else out there. I guess like, look, when you when you are prepared and you've got your ducks oh, in a row, so you're you're yep. not going to be nervous because you know you're ready to do it. And he he damn well knew he wasn't ready to do it, and he was trying to cheat the game basically. Well, that's another thing though that I think is so interesting that you bring that up because it's something that I and this it's what's so great about this last dance is even people like you or me are so into it and know like every little idiosyncrasy. There's so many new things we're seeing, and one of them was is even before you said the thing about your basketball body with your shoulders and your chest. When if you watch him wearing 45 out there, and I was watching when he was playing Indiana and when they showed him in the Magic series, his shoulders were so much noticeably smaller. It was like weird. It was like looking at Scott Borrello, and it like his shoulders looked like really like tucked into his body, and it was just it's it just a completely different body than he had later on. Like when because if you look at his shoulders in like '97, I mean the dude's just a uh, coat hanger with how wide they are. Yeah, and I, and I it's, it's just amazing. I thought that uh, when he said that he had to rework his body that off season, the way he said it, like, and it was not easy. Like it, it, yeah. Like it just showed how hard that dude worked to get back to as close as he could to being himself. 
Uh, so absolutely, it was there's yeah, no, the sure. the level of drive, which I, Reggie talked did a great job and said like, look, this he guy did. had he had the seven o'clock shoot, then he's lifting, then he's playing from seven to ten at night. Man's a lunatic, animal. This it, has been a true pleasure, brother. Yeah. It's really great stuff, Marco. Great stuff, great podcast, brother. I'm really been enjoying listening to it. Keep up the good work, man. Well, uh, you're the best. You're the best, animal. Talk to you soon. All right, talk to you, brother. See ya. Bye. All right, so that is the animal. Let me bring in my guy, Ethan Blumenthal, with a little song interlude. It's just another day for you and me. Quarantine. Ethan Blumenthal, what's up, man? Uh, how's it going, my friend? It's always a pleasure not only to speak with you, but then to just come on and you're already seeing to me. It's a beautiful thing. Well, I got excited when I dialed you up here on Mother's Day. You want to give a salute to your mom? What's the best thing your mom ever did for you? Um, besides, uh, <laughs> let me, um, besides carry me inside of her body for nine months. Well, that could be that's up there. I mean, if she's done nothing since, I guess that would be number one. Yeah, well, she's done a lot. Um, I would say, you know, giving me the the framework and the the of uh, of some of the life that I have. You know, I mean, that you know, just giving me the values, the things. Um, I think she's giving me a lot of uh, joy and happiness. Is that enough? Is that enough? Is that a good? I mean, you know, I could go on all day. We could all go on all day. Well, I don't know if we can all go on all day. I think a lot of us could go on for less than ten seconds. Some people have some, some anger against their mother. You, on the other hand, seem very loving to your mom, but like uneasy to put it out there. It's, it seems almost uncomfortable with you, Ethan. No, I mean, I just, you know, it's just that I don't want. I can't. I don't want to sum it up in a in a podcast. Now, not just any podcast. Obviously, the greatest podcast in the world. But still, I don't want to just sum it up. Um, it feels like I need to write a book about it and, you know, really take some time, put my words down to some paper, you know, edit it, make sure it sounds as poetic as possible because that's what my mother deserves. Are you a perfectionist? I think with, yeah, I'd say with things that I care about. Uh-huh. I'm a pretty big perfectionist. Um, I, I write my mother a card every year. I write her like a poem or like a funny note. And it's, I wouldn't say that that is perfect because partly the only times I ever actually write with my hands, like handwriting, is the two times a year I write my mother a card on Mother's Day and on her birthday. So um, that's, it's, it's imperfect, but I think with things, yeah, that I care about, I, mean, I want it to be pristine. That's why our podcasts are so good. Well, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking about, you know, reasons – that I love my mom so much. And, you know, I lost my mom at a very early age. I was 13, so that wasn't great. And But I still, of course, think about her on Mother's Day and every day, really. But I'm thinking back to a major moment, Ethan, which you may not remember. And I'm actually scrolling through my phone right now to make sure I have the date right. So I go back, Ethan, to February 22nd, 1981, Happened to be my first ever Chicago Bulls game. And I was there with my dad, my mom, and both my brothers. And we were sitting in the first balcony. 
and the Bulls were in a battle, Orlando Woolridge and company, but they ended up losing to the Hawks 121 to 116. And with about 15 seconds left, as I recall, as a young seven-year-old Carm, my brother was like, let's get out of here. The game's over. And I'm like, no, 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 no. They, like, I don't, I, what, can't we stay to the end? And my mom stepped in and said, I think they still got a chance. And for that, I will always be grateful that no matter what the odds are, no matter what's in front of you, anything is possible. Gladys Carmen, 121-16, Bulls Hawks, 81. Great message for everybody on a Mother's Day, correct? Absolutely. That's a beautiful sentiment. But just to be clear, though, Bulls did lose that game, though, right? Yeah, but you don't need to underline that. That's not, that's not <laughs> I right. Just, I know. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But, no, that's a, that's a wonderful sentiment. Thanks. Uh, I, appreciate the, I appreciate you sharing. And, you know, sports, sports and mothers, you know, they go, they go uh, it, it, a lot of people have those types of memories with their moms and the sports. Did your mom have any athletic talent? Um, if there was a number, yeah, I mean, below, what is the number, the first number that you think of when you go below zero? I would say negative 100. Negative 100. Okay. So, yes, I think my mother, who has a lot of wonderful talents, but athleticism is not one of them. And she, but, but to this day, my father will still play tennis with her. And in a lot of ways, she's, she's, she's a spaz, but she, she's been doing it for a while. And she, you you know, she can hit the ball back and forth with my dad, who's very good. And so, you know, it's, it's an impressive, it's a, it's a feat of just, you know, perseverance that she just keeps going at it and she just likes to do it and, you know, hit some balls back and forth. And so I respect that she does that despite the fact that she's clearly not gifted in that realm. Did you just call your mom a spaz on Mother's Day? <laughs> I think and she's a wonderful, beautiful spaz, but I think that that's okay to, to acknowledge that, you know, we all have, you know, our upsides and our downsides, and she knows that she, you know, isn't a, is not a world-class athlete. Okay. All right. That's uh, aggressive but honest, I guess. Let, yeah. Can I move on to the coronavirus and find out how you're doing? Because yeah. of course, yeah. Let, let me let me give you a scenario. This morning, I, I get up, okay, and I'm listening to some different podcasts, trying to get an idea of what to do today. And I figured that, sure, you know, we would just hang out and, and chit chat because we haven't done that in a while. And so, I'm like, you know what? I deserve a treat, even though I really don't. But I <laughs> I decided to get in the car, drive up to Tui, and Get my New York bagel and Bialy. That's correct. Very good. Yeah. Get the New York bagel. Now I knew going on a Sunday that this was dangerous territory, that the mm-hmm. Jew, the Jews were going to be out on this Sunday morning. There's just no doubt about it. But right. I did not expect for there to be a line around the block to get into New York bagel at 9:30 on a Sunday morning on Mother's Day. But that's what there was because they're only allows allowing six in the store. And you mm-hmm. got to do the social distancing in the line, and so right. now I'm now I'm in a quandary. Do I wait in this line and go in this store where all these people are going? Who knows who has what? Or do I punt and get myself something else, or just go home and make myself scrambled eggs? What do you think I did? So, if it were me, I'll start with there. If it were me. First of all, let me ask you this. How long did it take you to drive from your house in the city to 
QE. 17 minutes and 38 seconds. 17 minutes and 38 seconds. I appreciate you for timing that for me because you knew I was going to ask. I did. I think that realistically, right, and and it's like 15 minutes. You can kind of, I think in that point, you can kind of round that down to 15 minutes. And I think that in our heads, logically, I know that there's like an economic, like, some cost or whatever that you shouldn't worry about the time, but just because it was only 15 minutes, right? You're kind of like, well, you know, what's, what's, this is 15 minutes here, 15 minutes back. I would have punted and I would have gone home and I would have made some scrambled eggs, you know, put together some sort of, uh, some sort of breakfast. And had it been like it was a 45 minute drive, well, then now I feel like, even though I know that that might not be logical, I feel like you would have been in it for the long haul. Like, well, I'm coming home with bagels. I don't care if I'm here all day. So I think I would have punted. And what did Carm do? Now, I know Carm likes a good bagel. Now, let me ask you this, though. What's your favorite type of bagel? End of the day, I probably go with an everything bagel, but I love an egg bagel. I love bagels. Uh, poppy, sesame. Sure. I mean, there's really no – you can't go wrong. What, actually, and actually, what was, actually, you could go wrong if you get a cinnamon raisin, but even that on, in certain right. circumstances is an okay call. Right. So what were you – planning without giving away whether you went or not what were you planning on going there yeah was this like a like a dozen bagel type thing so that you have some for later or were you just going to get like one you know bagel sandwich impromptu move didn't have a good plan wow okay and but what would but your ideal is an everything bagel are we talking like locks you know, lots of cream cheese, tomato, Stand- onion. Like, what are we going with? Standard order if I go to New York Bagel, just me and Chels at home, is I, I probably mm-hmm. go with a half dozen bagels. I get mm-hmm. I get, a, I get a lox. I get a, a small, actually they call it a medium, a medium chive cream cheese. Sure. If, I, if I go big, I'll get a tuna, I'll get an egg salad, and I'll get a coffee cake if, I'm, if I go huge. Right. Uh, understood. Okay. So I think that you – I think that you and I, you know, we, we've, we've got a lot of similarities in this life as we found out. And I think that you punted and you went home. Yeah, I got right in that line, Ethan. And, uh, <laughs> and I, and I loved, I, I loaded up the ringer. I listened to Bill Simmons and Zach Lode break down the NBA right before the coronavirus hit. And, <clears throat> and I, and I really just enjoyed catching up here. This is what I've been doing, by the way. I have, I think I'm, in a high level of anxiety, like many others. So I wake up at, you know, three in the morning, four in the morning. And mm-hmm. my wife doesn't like any noise in the bedroom. And I like to listen to the radio and or a podcast. So I've been getting up, going into the front room, shutting the door and either a listening to radio show podcasts and, or I'll lob in a, a, a straight ringer podcast. And so, okay. I was I, I, the ringer's a fairly new addition to my life as far as like at least this consistently. So I was excited to do it, and I figured it would be good prep. But what bothered me, and the reason why I'm bringing this up, people mm-hmm. have not figured out how to physically distance. I'm in line. There's somebody behind me. There's somebody in front of me. There's a parking lot to my right. There's a wall to my left. If you are going to the back of the line, you walk in the parking lot away from the people and you plot your ass at the back. You don't like skim the line walking down, walking within, you know, three feet of everybody, and then you go to the back. So now I'm in the position where these idiots, for lack of a better word, keep on walking past me. 
And one guy did it like twice. So do I, my choice is do I yell at this guy and say, hey, can you be a little further apart? Or do I just take it and put, allow him to put me and the other people in danger? What do you think? I, what do you think I did on that one? Okay, so what do you think? So, so tell me about, so I think, you know, in those situations, there's two types of people, right? There's the type of person who might really just be ignorant to the fact to what they're doing. And so they might actually, if you yelled at them, they might say, oh, my God, I didn't even think about that. I'm sorry. Right. But then there's other type of person where you could then just escalate the, the matter. And they're like, well, what are you telling me, bud? Like, who are you to tell me what to do? And then we have a whole situation. So you kind of have to assess that. Can I get... Um, I mean, just like just from the look of these people, did, what, is, what kind of sense were you getting? Were you going to get a confrontational sense? Or did you think that there was just kind of some little ignorance there that they weren't really thinking about what they were doing? I mean, I'm in the line at uh, New York Bagel. It was old man Morris who, okay. you know, he was Morris. Morris was there. He probably played tennis back in the day. Now he's carrying an extra 20 with the belly, and he's, sure. he's very fired up for uh, – some matzo ball soup. That's what I was dealing with. Gotcha. The, the main gotcha. culprit. Yeah. So he's walking around with a with with like fifteen pounds of egg salad just in his in his in his tummy. Yeah. Um. Gotcha. So first of all, just because you mentioned Morris, I was having a conversation with my grandfather and one of his uncles' names, and I didn't know this. His name was Mortimer, <laughs> and I had as he didn't go by Morty or Mort, he went by Mortimer. So. You'd say, hey, Uncle Mortimer, and that's just kind of struck me as a name that you just don't hear anymore, and I'm curious to see if it comes back. But anyways, what would I have done if I were you? I probably would have not said anything, but maybe you did. I'm going to go with, I'm going to say that you, you said something to him. Yeah, no, I just sat there and shook my head in utter disappointment, and, said, <laughs> and I said nothing to Morris. And then I was going to, mm-hmm. when, when I got up to the front, it's six people in the store at a time. Now I think I right. thought I thought that six was too many. Why do it we? Need, it's a small store. It's a small, it's a small store. store. We don't need six people in there. I'm more than happy to wait outside until I'm the only person in the store. I'd way rather right. do it that way. I don't need to yeah. think about what I'm getting. By the way, I did right. bl- I did blow that moment when it was my turn. I was I was so in my head and hadn't spoken in forever mm-hmm. that I proceeded to like take my mask off as if they couldn't hear me. The whole point is why I'm speaking right. to have your mask on. <laughs> And then I and I kind of like mumbled my order because I didn't really know what I wanted even at that point, so it was a terrible job. But wow, that's, <laughs> was, that's that's not poor form. Yeah, it was awful. I mean, I quickly put the mask back on and 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 then I left a you know I, I tipped five dollars on top of my order because I I felt so you know like these I right. mean, come on you're you're out here working at New York Bagel yeah. you deserve a tip. But it's twenty four seven by the way. Yeah. So when they told me that I could enter the store, did I wait and let more people come out, or did I allow myself to be pushed in along with the other six? So you, so you're saying, were you, did you become the seventh person? Did you wait for them to become the sixth person? So there was a man who was operating the door, and when one person right. left, he would, he would tell the next person, okay, you're, you're next. Okay. It's your turn. You gotcha. Start, and, and in essence, you'd be the sixth person in. Right. So did I, when okay. he told me that it was, it's your turn, did I say, I'll wait, or did I plop myself right in there and continue the, the endangering process that I thought was going on? I think you went right in. You are correct. I went right on in. Thank God. <laughs>
<laughs> Thank God. Yeah, people listening would think that I've never met you before because I haven't gotten any of these right. But okay, so you went right in. So because I, you don't think. You're just like, let's do it, whatever. Right, and so I, I tried to get to the corner where it was where there was nobody there, but there's a dude that's just plopped in the middle of the store, and I'm worried that I'm going to make contact with the guy. So I'm standing there looking at him, trying to see if he'll feel my presence and he'll move, but he didn't feel my presence at all. Did I open my mouth and say, can you move forward a step, or did I just sneak by him? You snuck by him. I snuck by him. I'm such. I'm. I'm a wimp. I'm a. I'm a freaking wimp, and it's yeah. disgusting and it's gross. And I am not proud of it. But I think this could be the first step in making me a better person. Talking about it here with you. Yeah, and that's what I'm here for. I always. I want. I think. I think the people that listen to our podcast. I think we want them to be better people. And I think having conversations like these, I think that really helps the process. I mean, I don't want any of our listeners to be better people. I think they're great people. I think you're amazing people. Those were Ethan's words, not mine. You don't need to do anything. I view you as whole and complete and amazing. And the fact that you're listening to this podcast right now, thank you. Do you have any other thoughts you want to get out today? Well, I would just say, well, first of all, just, I would just to bring this back to sports a little bit. Yesterday yeah. was, as I'm sure you saw all over Twitter, was Tony Gwynn's would have been Tony Gwynn's 60th birthday. Yeah. And I, if I love anything in life, it's I love me a good baseball stat. And when it comes to a guy like Tony freaking Gwynn, he's got like baseball stats of plenty. So can I just like read a couple of them to you? And then you can just kind of, we can just sit here in awe about how amazing of a hitter he was. Sure. 19 straight seasons hitting 300. Right. So I, go ahead. He, he, yeah, he faced uh hall of famers. He had 541 plate appearances against hall of famers and he batted 331 against those hall of famers. Wow. From 1992 to 1995, he had more runs scored than swings and misses. Wow. I mean, how do you not swing and miss more often? I mean, the, the way these guys can pitch, it's just unbelievable. Um, I'm, so not gonna allow my, favorite one. I'm not going to allow myself any other reaction going forward with the, just, just the wow, because that's all that Tony Gwynn deserves. Go ahead. Yes. So the, the, my favorite one is he could have gone an additional O for 1,182, which is essentially he could have gone two full seasons without having recorded, playing every single game and not recording a single hit and going over 1,182, and he still would have had a career batting average of over 300. Wow. That's and so that's those are those are those are some of my favorite three that I was picked up from going through the, the Twitter sphere yesterday. I believe he um, had a I believe he had a five year period. I want to say the batting average was either three eighty six or three sixty nine, and Ted Williams never had a five year stretch where he hit that high. Pretty incredible. And and in the in the ninety four season where where he batted three ninety four in the strike shortened season, I. It, he apparently did not break a single bat that season. So I, I watched a highlight of him hitting a double against Randy Johnson yesterday. Right, I saw that, yeah. I mean, Randy Johnson has dotted the outside corner with 95-mile-an-hour, 99-mile-an-hour heat, and he throws a ridiculous slider, and Gwynn's able just to get his bat on it, send it down the left field line for a double. Pretty, imp- yeah. pr- pretty damn impressive, no doubt about it. What do you uh, – what have you before you go, Ethan? To this point, what have you enjoyed most about the last dance? I know you've had technical difficulties watching it. Have you caught up? Are you are you 
I, I'm actually one episode behind, and I have had difficulties watching it live because I will say this again, and I don't care if someday, which I hope to work for ESPN, ESPN, your app, your streaming app, it sucks. It sucks so much. It sucks as much as all of us being in this quarantine right now. It just sucks. So fix your damn app. So watch Netflix all day, every day, and they never have any problems. And then ESPN, nothing ever works. And I tried to watch the college football national championship game on ESPN, and I couldn't watch it. I couldn't stream it, even though I have a legal access code to it. Anyways, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's chutzpah, Carm. And so that really, that really drives me up a wall. So I haven't been able to watch it live. But the last dance is amazing. I think the coolest thing about the whole thing is just that people now get to see how freaking amazing Michael Jeffrey Jordan was at basketball. Well, we knew that part, didn't we? I don't know. I, love I don't think a lot of people, I don't, you know, for me, Carl, you know, I, I didn't grow I didn't truly, I, I have memories of watching more, oh, yeah. I have memories of going to the game, but I never really got to see him play. And so, you know, I've, I, of course, I've seen a million highlights, but you just watch it again in this context where it's, you know, and not just how good of a basketball player he was, but how he just changed the world and oh. how he was, Okay. You know, the, the right. most global icon that there ever was. Okay, I have an assignment for you for next week's podcast. I yep. want you okay. to go on YouTube. You don't have to do it today, but you do have to do it sometime this week. I want you to go okay. on YouTube and watch the entire game. They have an 11-minute Jordan highlight reel, but I want you to devote two hours. I know you have time right now. To mm-hmm. Bulls, Pistons, Jordan, 59 points in the Pontiac Silverdome. All right? I want, I want you to watch that game, and I want you to come back, and I want five takeaways, okay? Okay. Five takeaways. Gotcha. I got to get yes, you. What, what year were you born? 91. Jesus Christ. Okay. I'm so jealous, and except for the part that you missed all of Jordan's career. But yeah. you got it. 59 points right. in the Silverdome, Bulls, Pistons, all right? Sounds, I, yes. Okay, I look forward to Absolutely. next Absolutely. It's done. Next all week. Right. All right. Next week, Ethan's five takeaways from Bulls Pistons, 1988, I want to say. It's got to be, yeah, it's it. No, it was 80, 89, 89, I believe. Bulls Pistons, Michael Jordan, 59 points. Yes, that's it. That's enjoy, yeah. enjoy the NBA on CBS intro for the game, too. It's so good. Ethan Blumenthal, great to be with you. Always a pleasure, Carm. Thanks for checking out the podcast. We uh, greatly, greatly appreciate you listening to the Windy City. Hope you enjoyed episode seven and eight as much as I did as well. We will see you next week. By the way, go back a couple episodes. Check out Craig Hodges. Check out my guy Will Purdue. A lot of good stuff. Sam Smith as well. The Windy City podcast. We are here for you. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.